Welcome to the Fishers of Men podcast brought to you by us at So Much Media. I'm Mary Ashley Burton. I'm Lars Samara. This podcast is about relationships and your walk with Jesus. It's about the true stories of Christian men and women's struggles with chastity, sex, marriage, and relationships in a post-Christian culture. about yourself okay uh so hi i'm marshall james and i know mary ashley because we went to high school together um when we were saying that we actually played a couple married a married couple in a play we did arthur miller's all my sons and so literally (laughs) the sons were our sons (laughs) we had like a dramatic fight and she slaps me on stage and then and he thinks now that I was actually slapping. I have no memory I'm, of actually slapping. I'm almost slapping. certain we spent an entire day trying to get the fake slap down, but my my hands sweat a lot. And part of the way you get a, the slap noise right is the person getting slapped is supposed to, like, clap on their thigh to get... Or, the, or clap their hands or together. Or clap their hands together. And like, have the right, gesture. Be right like, right ow! Like, ah! Yeah. Uh, but, like, that didn't... Um, I, I, I think I distinctly remember it not really working out, so... Yeah. We decide to go with like, well, you know, if if Mary Ashley just if she kind of cups her hand <laughs> and make sure to catch you on the cheek, it won't sting very much, but the the cupping will make the slap sound real loud. And I think after a couple times, we got it down like pretty well. Like I don't remember it like hurting, hurting so bad, but the audience like eats it up. Like it's oh, such yeah. a dramatic because it's the it's the moment in like the the play where she's finally done with my bullshit and it's like, I'm done with your bullshit. Yeah. And I'm just like, no, I, duh, 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 you know, some derogatory thing a man in the 1940s would say to his wife and then <laughs> slap, you know. <laughs> and that's... Awesome. And then storm off stage and I'm like, duh, oh, and I'm a... So like real life. Yeah, just so like, real, so like life. real life. Yeah. yeah. So, I guess, so I guess I have learned how to slap a man even though I didn't remember it. So yeah, there you go. Thanks, thanks for the refresher. And you've given me, I think, my only slap I've ever received in the well, face. Nice. Yeah, so. that's great. That's a good accomplishment. Yeah. Made it 33 years so far. <laughs> only one slap and it was a fake one. So. <laughs> Doing all right. Yeah, I live here in uh, Los Angeles now, just like Mary Ashley does, and I work in the entertainment industry behind the scenes as a digital imaging technician, which is just a fancy part of the camera department. So. And so you have a really interesting story, I think, in terms of your past and your attitudes towards women and how you've sort of evolved. Yeah. So I... uh, like, I consider myself a very strong feminist now, but there was definitely a time, like, growing up in the South, I think especially, there is this big push for uh, men and women to behave, like, a certain way. And also, um, uh, like, carrying with that is this, like, low-level, subtle contempt of all things feminine, including women themselves. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, like, the objectification of women is kind of a part of Southern culture, and... The kind of, uh, like, you know, jokes about, like, you know, what do you call a woman with a, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, it's all a bunch of, like, get back in the kitchen and make me pie, sort of. And men bond over that. Right, right. And that's, and it's, like, it's really gross. And I think even as a kid, it somewhat made me uncomfortable, but you kind of have to roll with it because you don't want to be labeled a pussy and beaten up. So, 
But then I think, you know, for like, I was raised by relatively progressive parents, but it's like they're Southern progressive, which means they're pretty much just moderates, you know? So it really wasn't until I moved to Los Angeles and was exposed to, you know, the much wider diversity of like people and viewpoints and also really my exposure to Tumblr, the the website, because there's a lot of people who write very passionately about um, like social justice issues on there, including feminism. And uh, I had a very significant relationship with a, a girl who's a very like passionate feminist. And like she kind of like opened up my eyes to all sorts of concepts like male privilege and um, uh, and the patriarchy. And kind of since then, I've I've sort of changed my whole view on how, uh, you know, how men and women should be ideally interacting with each other and about like trying to trying to limit times when in the past I would have been either very dismissive of a woman or her ideas or, uh, like tempted to like mansplain, like you, the thing you don't understand lady, because your ovaries are getting in the way is this, you know, sort of thing. So is there a time that you can specifically recall when you did that? I mean, I think really before the age of 27 or 28, like I, 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 I oftentimes think back on, uh, th- there was like a writing prompt I did the other day as a writing exercise. And it was like, uh, imagine yourself having a conversation with yourself in 10 year increments. So like I'm 30, I was 32 at the time. So I wrote like, what if 32 me and 22 me and 12 year old me, like all had to hang out. And I realized that like 32 year old me and 12 year old me would get along great. Like, <laughs> I would love 12-year-old me because he'd be, like, a big nerd and, like, uh, had yet to realize, like, that being nerdy is something to be ashamed of. But 22-year-old me would have been such an and I would have been so mad at him and I would have wanted to shake him all the time, like, you know, you're such an idiot. And, um, yeah, like, when I was 27, I dated this girl, Meredith, uh, who we, we met online, and she was just... She was, she was one of the first people where I was just like, whoa, you are much smarter than me. Like, staggeringly, like, more, like, um, eloquent than me when it came to, like, you know, like, uh, speaking her mind about how she felt about things. And I remember we had a date at a Starbucks. We used to do these dates called, like, write nights because she also liked to write. And so we'd just take our computers to, like, a coffee shop and we would just, like, sit there and write. And uh, one time she would like, she, uh, messaged me while we were there. So she's right across the table, but we would sometimes like just type messages back and forth rather than talking. I don't know. But, uh, but she messaged me that this, these two girls, these pair of girls behind us, um, had now been approached for the fourth time by a random dude to like try and hit on them. And these two girls were, they were in, like, sweatpants and sweatshirts with their, like, hair back. And they had huge stacks of, like, medical books. And they were obviously there, like, deep in studying. I think this was April, so probably finals and stuff are coming up or maybe midterms. And so they are very obviously here with a purpose, and that purpose is, like, studying. And I was just, like, uh, talking to Meredith, like, that's so weird. Like, why? They're obviously not you know, sitting here like, oh, I wonder if anyone's going to talk to me in this coffee shop. Um, and I even said something pretty naive, like, I was like, they're not even dressed like they want people to talk to them. Like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and like, and that like irritated Meredith as well it should. And she goes, yeah, Marshall, this happens all the time. 
She's like, part of the reason I've cultivated a resting face is so that people talk to me less. <laughs> and I was just like, that blows my mind. Because I've, I've never been someone who can really approach people in public. Like, it's for, for the reasons I would imagine people wouldn't is, like, I would always feel like I'm, oh, I'm intruding on them. You know, I would feel too nervous about intruding on someone's personal time. So she pointed it out, and I was like, that's so weird. And while we were talking about it, a fifth guy approached them and started, like, chatting them up. And they and they kept having to be, like, politely, like, no, 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 we're studying, but thanks. I'm glad you think my hair's pretty, you know, like that sort of thing. And I was just like, and I, I remember, like, typing to Meredith, like, I can't believe this is happening. This is so bizarre. And she's like, this happens Every period, day, period, two, period, women, period. Mm-hmm. It was like from that point on, like it was sort of uh, someone just showing me around a corner of a building where of the wall of a building I didn't even know existed. And like the moment I peeked around the corner, now I see it everywhere. And so, I mean, that's male privilege for you. I mean, my whole life, I didn't, I didn't realize that, uh, you know, like... Regular, casual harassment of people happens all the time. Um, uh, women happen all the time. Yeah, I think it's... Like, we uh, we broke up shortly thereafter. Um, but, like, that kind of has always, like, stuck with me. And uh, that kind of started me on a journey of realizing um, just a lot more about how humans interact with one another, especially how men and women interact. So it's really interesting because just the other night, like Friday night, I was out with a group of friends and we went karaoke and then we went to this restaurant. One of the guys in my group, I don't know him that well, but anyway, so the waitress was like clearing her plates and he asked her out like just right there. And, and she said, no. And at that point, like I turned around and became aware of what was going on. And he was like, well, I mean, what do you, what do you mean? Like, what's the situation? Do you have a boyfriend? Like, all I'm saying is I'm offering you a free meal. And I was like, why are you asking her? <laughs> and then like, is that we, what you said? That's what I said. Okay. And like really loudly. Cause I'd had a few drinks, uh, <laughs> had a few glasses of wine. We yeah. were karaoke, you know? And so courage, like, liquid courage, so yeah. the, so the waitress w- was just talking. She like then on, she went on to say like, Oh, well, you know, there's this guy who's been like in and out of my life or whatever. And then she walked away. Then outside the restaurant, he was like, you totally killed my game. And I was like, you had no game. (laughs) Like, she's just trying to work. Like, you know, it's funny you bring that because I saw something like this online. It was this thing about, um, I forget the exact wording, but it was something about when a woman rejects uh, a man's advance. And when they ask, you know, why do you have a boyfriend? What they're saying is the imagined threat of a man weighs more with me than whatever the you want. Like, I don't care what you want, but if there's a guy that might kick my ass, then I might back off. Like, which is the implied, so I'm like, like any guy who's ever said like, why are you married or something? Like, are you married to something implies 
I mean, because if not, you're going to have sex with me. Right. Like, this there's like a subtle threat. There's of, no other reason you might have for rejecting me right, at exactly. this moment. Like, it has nothing... I mean, I'm a prize, is what... You know, like, I'm a prize. You should be so grateful I've even asked you out. But, yeah. And even you know. his phrasing was like, well, all I'm saying is it's a free meal for you. As if... Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And it, as if, A, she can't pay for her own meal, and B, like... She needs to go out with guys that she's not interested in in order to get free meals. Right. And, you know, because it's like, and it, as if it's not an inconvenience, you know, like, because it's like, oh, well, you know, you got to eat anyway. You know, that kind of attitude. It's like, well, she still has to go out of her way to, like, spend time with you. Right. <laughs> and and then to blame me for, quote unquote, killing his game. Right. Like. Which was like a really lousy game to begin with. Right. Yeah. Which was not even... So anyway, it's just... uh, It it was just a very interesting recent example Mm -hmm. of what you're talking about. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And how alive and well it is. Well, it was was funny. Like, just last night, I was getting a ride back. My partner and I were taking a ride back on the train and from, like, a party. And we're walking relatively close to each other. And some guy just goes, uh, you know, hey, honey, you looking good. And she's just like, thanks. And he's like, where are you going? You got a boyfriend? And she's like, yeah, he's right here. <laughs> like, And I'm like, yeah, hey. And uh, like, it was just like very weird. Like I would never, even even when I was a little shit, I can't imagine ever just going, mm, girl. <laughs> like, I just, I can't imagine that would ever pan out well for you. But anyway. Yeah. I don't know what that is. Like, guys thinking that their game is going to somehow land them some girl. Like, you have to be going for the lowest hanging fruit at that point. Right. You know? Or, I don't know. I don't know what it is that compels men to catcall or think that that's attractive in any way. Well, I I would say, I mean, my thought there is... I mean, one, obviously we have a culture who tells us romance is a certain thing but once you like really start breaking down that like it's all really disgusting possessive stuff like so much of romance is you know if a boy likes if a little boy likes a little girl he chases her and like you know pushes her down or kisses her you know and like there's so many romance movies where the girl loses the guy and then he is so relentless for the next hour and a half that finally she's like, you know what, Brian, I was meant to be with you the whole time and credits. And it's like, that's And gross. usually he does something pretty crazy. And he does some over the top thing, like some really crazy, like he maybe disguises himself as somebody else or he's been sending letters from her, you know, parents, but it's not really been her parents the whole time. You know, it's like r- usually some really f- up scheme some game to win her and then he wins her you know like we have three decades or more of of uh where like the rom-com really became a thing you know from the 60s to the mid 90s where all of the storylines were boy relentlessly pursues girl until she like just gives up because i mean you know and so now we have a lot of and not only that the problem is that's in like that's, that's in, like, rom-coms. That's aimed at women. So then women are taught, you know, oh, if a guy chases me long enough, then he's pretty deserving, you know. Or or his worth is the effort that he puts into pursuing me. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, and I, and I remember um, uh, there was also, 
I was listening actually to one of your like uh, earlier podcasts and they'd been talking about something about like who can make the first move. Like the whole idea of moves has been kind of created by our culture, you know, mm-hmm. like who has to make moves and, and making moves has become this like masculine thing. Um, and so I think that in its own way help factors into catcalling because at its most basic, like catcalling is a harassment first move. Like I'm going to fire a shot across your bow. Let me see how you react to me pointing out how great this is, you know, because I guess like the thought is if this is a game and if it's like, it's sort of a hunt, then I've Mm got to gather some information. And if I, all I can see is like, see her. Well, now I have to figure out like, how does she respond to, compliments or whatever you want to call mm. harassing mm. language you know mm-hmm. so yeah i mean the the unfortunate thing is like we have a culture that is like taught people that this is that this is romance that big gestures in the face of rejection is romance you know mm. you know mm. like the way like say anything like he gets rejected like three or four times and then shows up with the boom box and gets the girl like <laughs> which is a creepy move like yeah. it's creepy to show upside your ex's house blasting her favorite song like so much so i think I, like hopefully i think most people seem to realize it's creepy because now whenever people like do it in tv shows like it's always someone highlighting what a weirdo they are but there was a time when like that move was seen. I don't know. So... I was at a party recently, and there were a couple of guys that were like, "Man, and if if a woman did that, she would have me at hello." <laughs> it was like <laughs> really, <laughs> like so. I mean, I think there's some people that still think like that would be great, you know. Mm-hmm. But but I wonder, like, what is it behind that that attra- is attractive to them? Like, is it just like the the like surety like the being sure that that woman like to go to that link like must really be into you mm-hmm. or you know is it just the like scope of the gesture itself and like realizing well, it, like, the shorten, effort shortens the gap of, of the possibility of rejection right like you, you th- right if they know for sure she's into me then i can do whatever i want and or whatever and it'll be okay yeah Right, because if the woman's already coming from it, and actually, like, but at that party, that whole discussion got started because one of my friends, who's a woman, was like, "I would really like a guy to do that for me." Right, and, and then the guys were like, "Oh my gosh, yeah, if a woman did that, it'd be great." So my partner and I, we were talking the other day about how um, because there isn't really any education dedicated towards uh, like romance and relationships you know which i feel like could be an essential part of any sex ed class which i feel like is something (laughs) that we are all sorely (laughs) missing but i feel like i feel like sex ed could be just broadly turned into relationships in general because i think a lot of our like real societal issues come from the fact that not only do we not do people not know a lot about sex, but they don't know a lot about relating to other human beings. Yeah. And so if you're especially only, in the digital age, <laughs> right. And if your only relationships have been taught to you, modeled either by your parents, if you have a broken home, then your modeling is way. Up. Even if you have an unbroken home, your modeling may still be really up. And then pretty much everything else you learn from your peers who are all amateurs at being in relationships. So, uh, like we were talking the other day about how when I was young, th- really the only quality a woman had to have for me to be into her is for her to be into me. So like, yeah. uh, mm. like I I had like in that sense sort of the lowest standards because the moment anyone showed any interest, 
you know, you just, you wanted, like, when all of those hormones are going on and you're 14, you just want someone who wants you. Because you're, everyone just needs to find someone to make yeah. out with. Like, everyone wants to make out really hardcore. If you're not making out with somebody, you're a loser. And so the moment somebody, like, looks at you and is like, yeah, we can make out. Yeah, yes, I won. I won the prize, you know? And that's <laughs> sort of the thing. And, um, and I feel like that just keeps kind of going on into adulthood. And, you know, I feel like there's a lot of time in college in your 20s where you start figuring out how not to be an amateur at relationships but in the beginning that's kind of the baseline is mm. i just need someone you know um anyone <laughs> yeah and yeah because at that point you know like at that point it's it's that sort of like i just want someone to care about me and the moment they do then like i'm in love cuz they care mm-hmm. you know Mm. Yeah, that doesn't change too much though. I feel like even as you mature, I mean, hopefully you will. Now mature. the stakes are just higher. Yeah, but it's still like, <laughs> oh, he looked at me. I mean, we were just talking about this in our last interview. Sometimes yeah. it's just as much as like, oh, he touched me. Like now, what does that mean? Or yeah, you know, he, he gave me, me that look. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, different way of discerning when you're adult versus a kid, I guess. But still and the it, same game. It's a still the same game, but if you choose to, you can set standards for yourself of like, I think okay, so. well, that is a person I would like to spend time with, or mm. no, that is not a person. Because, yeah. yeah, I totally... I think the issue is just the the um, empowering or, or knowing that you, have, you can empower yourself to make that choice. It's like, you yeah. don't have to just go out with any dude that cat calls you, or... You could that express have a, his interest. Yeah, I mean, at the yeah. same time, I you know I do want to promote saying yes to somebody that asks you appropriately. I'm saying everyone has their own standards, but it's important to know what your own standards are. Yeah, because it's tough. Because I was just talking about uh, this with someone today that I've gone through periods where I'm like, okay, I'm gonna give like dating my all. I'm gonna do like every effort. I'm gonna I'm gonna go on a date with anybody who asks, and like everything's a learning experience. And you know, even like and now, I'm actually kind of even just opposed to online dating for my own life. Not that it can't work out for anybody. You mm-hmm. know, like there are plenty of people who have had great success with online dating, but. For me, it just started to feel really false that you look at this profile, which is kind of an arbitrary series of words that you know people uh, choose to describe themselves. Mm-hmm. It may or may not have any connection to reality, mm-hmm. and and so you don't really know who a person is. And it just happened to me so many times where I would fi- see like a profile and think, oh, this person's interesting, and then we would meet in person, and I'd be like, oh, n- no. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, they are they are self-representing a totally different picture. And, but even still, I was like, you know, I really just want to be open-minded, and uh, I even want to go out with guys that normally I wouldn't go out with, just because, like, well, what if I'm self-sabotaging? And, mm-hmm. you know, like, I I feel like I need to have this responsibility to uh, to give everyone a chance. And that just led to, like, such horrible, horrible experiences. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so much of my, my... The vast majority of my dating experience, especially since moving to Los Angeles, has all been through online dating. The good thing... I mean, the good side of online dating um, is that it allows you to date a lot of people very quickly, which I highly recommend because I, get, I got a lot better at dating the more mm. I did it. 
you know, like dating is in its own way. Like, you know, it's a, it's a skill. Like, it's like, to, <laughs> you know, interacting with human beings is a skill. Right. I think so it's, some just, of us are it's better more at, just like interaction. Right. Is the <laughs> and, but also I think at the same time, like the more dates I went on, the better I was able to start really divining like my type, like the mm. kinds of interests that seem really vital to me and 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 also like it got me to start like when it came to like profiles and stuff like i could be able to start reading like patterns in profiles on people who i really like i'm like oh i can i can bet this person will be fun to go out on a date with like that there's a certain character or a certain tone that has shown up in a bunch of like dates where oh that was very a very successful date and so because yeah like in the very beginning i had a very bland profile and it was very like you know, whatever happens, happens. Like, come, like, let's go on a date. And, you know, and uh, and then also anybody, anytime I'd message somebody and they would message you back, I'm like, yeah, let's do coffee without even thinking about it. And I went on so many, like, terrible first dates um, because, yeah, I wasn't being very picky. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't know a lot about myself. Like, the, the other thing is, like, dating, I think, helps you learn a lot about yourself. Yeah. And, um... So I started, like, realizing a lot of, like, the things that really matter to me that I hadn't, like, really codified. And once you... The other cool thing about online dating is because it essentially drops you in a dating pool with everybody else who's dating in your city, it's no longer, well, I gotta find somebody either at work or when we go to the bar on Fridays. You know, like, now you... You know, we live in Los Angeles, which is, like, 7 million people, Mm -hmm. so there's approximately maybe a half million in our dating pool in age-appropriate... Half million people is a lot of people, and then we'll cut that in half. A quarter million women, right? A quarter million women in my age bracket, like on this dating website, you know. So there's an endless amount. So there's never a need to, like, settle in that way for like, uh, oh, well, we didn't really get along, but I thought she was pretty, so I'll go on another date with her. It's like, well, no, we can be honest about like, uh, this really didn't work out. It's a double-edged sword though, because that variety can also compel you to always be looking for like the next level of perfection I think and kind of what online dating has become for me is I started recognizing myself that I was starting to see people as commodities a little Mm -hmm. bit Mm -hmm. and I felt like it was like pretty much like going on to Amazon and like reading <laughs> like clicking Products. through my the product reviews and yeah. everything like that and and I was I just was like ah oh, like I don't like feeling this way I don't want to see people this way I this is just not good. so so any man that has messaged me and I haven't <laughs> responded I'm sorry <laughs> it's probably not personal it's just I like literally never check my messages yeah and, well you're also a, a woman on a dating site so yeah. like your messages are like unanswerable in, in sometimes yeah. yeah very much so I, f- I feel like that's all of my female friends they're all like which yeah. leads us to a, an interesting topic so the last time i was talking to you mm-hmm. i was talking i t- was sharing with you some like really horrible uh, messages i had gotten from a guy and i have talked about them on the air mm-hmm. so and you were like step by step coaching me through like oh well this is like a pickup artist thing and this is these are the techniques he's using oh right yeah yeah, the, one of the more disgusting male things right now, which I think th- seems to be dying down, but for a while, like in the mid-2000s, there's this obsession with being like a pickup artist, and there's this guy, Tucker Max, who wrote a bunch of books on it, and he's kind of living scum. And like one of his rules was about essentially insulting somebody 
in a way that that then makes you seem like a hero when you can see beyond your terrible scars on your face or whatever like this they'll point out some things like yeah i think you're you know you seem like you're pretty stupid but i don't care you want to go on a date you know like somehow it it implies that like you're flawed but i am willing to see past your flaws and take you out and it's supposed to make women with a lower self-esteem like trigger that part that essentially that like we were saying that basic primal oh but they like me which we all just kind of want someone just "Ah, does that they like me so if you know essentially like psychologically this like they call it negging when you say something negative about somebody like negging a woman and then saying i'll still go out with you it the whole kind of goal is to send them back in time to that point when you were so unsure of yourself or so down on yourself that any sort of positive attention um, was a reward, you know. And so and so then being able to be like, oh, well, you're ugly, but I'll still go out with you. Like, oh, yeah, I, I do think I'm ugly, but but he doesn't think I'm ugly, so I'll give him my number. You know, like that's supposed to be mm. like the goal. Um and uh, I mean, there's been like you know thousands of essays written about how disgusting this is, but it's one of those one of those things. Like, you know, no decent human being will ever insult you and then uh, ask you out. So, like, that's just a blanket. What's that movie? The um, Ryan Gosling and uh, Steve Carell, where Ryan Gosling's teaching him to do oh, is these it things. Crazy stupid. Yeah, love? that. Yeah, yeah. I, I just. I wonder if that was probably a reference because that's exactly what he teaches him to do. It's like point out something about her that's flawed and then go in for the kill while, when you compliment her despite that flaw. Right, right, yeah. So it's made its way through popular culture. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess it's good that it's made it to the point where now it's it can be lampooned, but I and I'm I'm not aware if it like obviously it still goes on cuz you receive that message and that sort of thing. But um yeah, I mean, I think just like as a blanket thing, like it's important I think when it comes to just dating in general that like like self-reflection and introspection on on like what makes yourself tick, like I think can help be a bulwark against that sort of um uh, mm. That sort of like mental s- manipulation and sabotage that's going on, because I, I think definitely part of the reason why I'm better at dating now than I than I ever have been is because I feel like I'm uh, I've spent a lot of time in the last few years like really doing like a lot of introspection and self reflection on myself, and um, like which also I think has made me a more pleasant person to date because I spend less time like trying to figure it out. Mm. You know, there seems like there's a lot of like mm. listless guys who are still trying to figure it out. And I mean, this has been fostered by the whole like in the mid 2000s also had like the Manic Pixie Dream Girl yeah. movies going around which are all like Garden State and 500 Days of Summer, which are all just movies about uh, self-absorbed dudes who can't figure it out and then the perfect woman who comes along and through her sheer perfectness helps him figure out life and uh so she's just a prop and she has no perspective of her own right yeah she's merely a prop to make him realize that life is grand and worth living and i am lovable mm-hmm. you know despite having nothing to offer whatsoever like all those all the leading men in manic pixie dream girl stories they're all like 
well, I'm an artist, but I don't actually paint anything. Like, they're terrible. They're just <laughs> terrible people. You know what I mean? Like, I want to be a writer, but I haven't written in months. You know, like that sort of thing. Yeah, I don't know where my life is going, and I'm depressed about it. Yeah, like, I work in this office building, but one of these days, I'm going to be an architect. You know, like... Yeah, then, that is 500 Days of Summer. Right. I mean, that's pretty much... That's those those are those movies. And so we have, like... Uh, and it's kind of dangerous for women, women as well, because, like, I've had friends who have had relationships where, like, they genuinely believe that the only problem with a guy is that they haven't been loved enough, you know? Or, like, like no one has ever... And it's, like, that's so, so not true. Like, hmm. you know, you know, like, I have a friend in particular that she took year and I I would say verbal abuse and just like he was cheating on her like at one point he she even like went to the bathroom in the morning and put on contacts and she was like these aren't why is the world blurry and it was because he had cheated on her and the girl had left her contacts and like my friends got yeah she was was like I have literally like swapped eye fluid with some girl and he was denying it like the whole time you know Mm -hmm. and but but my friend like kept on because she was like no like he's just so damaged and like no one is just no one has loved him and the way that he needs to be loved oh my gosh well yeah whole other episode (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, breaking my own hero complex of, like, wanting to save damaged people, like, that was, that was definitely difficult, and, um, and I feel like that a lot of times people have that, where, like, they seek out people who are, uh, damaged in some way, or they find themselves inordinately attracted to people who are damaged in some way, and not to say that, you know, turn all damaged people aside, I mean, everybody's got their own kind of flavor of damage, yeah. But I think the key between, like, a damaged person and someone who's dealing with it is the dealing with it. Like, there are some people who just refuse to, like, do the self-work and the self-love that it takes to, like, conquer whatever form of demons you have. And um, and they're looking for, like, an external, the manic pixie dream girl to come in and change their lives. Right. And ultimately, I mean, it's it's... I'm not saying that it's not possible for someone to trigger it because i would say that without a doubt meredith um was one of the people who triggered me to do like you know several years of like introspection but it wasn't just her like i i had a long-term friend with benefits who she likewise also like like helped me like focus on really like figuring out who i am and what i value and and like what i want to do with my life and that sort of thing so it's not that the manic pixie dream girl in a way isn't real it's just they have to also realize they're their own human being and their purpose in life is not to trigger some revelation on your point like their purpose in life is live their own damn life and maybe by you know ricocheting off you during some part in your life it you know triggers you to like think about things in a different way but no one should be saving anybody Mm. you know um but obviously like talking with people is like i mean the whole reason you guys do this podcast is like hey maybe we will spark you to think about something you know like so (laughs) so the having conversations with people and like even like intense like conversations with people you're dating like you know can help in that way but no one should be waiting for somebody to like help them fix themselves that you consider yourself to be a feminist, like, what does that look like now in terms of how you relate to both men and women? Well, um, so I've always gotten along 
And what does it mean to you? Well, um, so, uh, you know, being a feminist means that I I acknowledge that um, thousands of years of male domination of our society, um, rooted in the primal being bigger and stronger than females, um, but then it, that was then orchestrated through all forms of uh, society, uh, government, and religion, where, like, just male dominance over females just kind of built into so much of, at least of Western cultures, like so much of um, the cultures. And so being a feminist is acknowledging that uh, that women can be and are and should be uh, my equal in all forms of human interaction and in society. And that currently that's not the case. Men still run the gamut on everything. But also the patriarchy hurts men as well. Like there's all sorts of things that men are restricted from or are looked down upon for doing, usually because those things are considered feminine and feminine is the the lesser than. So uh, being a feminist is important to me because uh, because I do, I do genuinely believe that like women are every bit my equal if not better than me and just about everything other than having a penis so uh so i work i work to further the conversation especially among other men because you know sadly men will listen to other men usually more than they will listen to women um but i've I've always gotten along better with women than men and i think only through doing studying as a feminist that i realized that it's part because a lot of male culture is based on competition like uh, groups of men, there's always like a pecking order that has to be established. There's lots of like either bragging or physical displays where like just in any group of men, you know whereabouts you fit. Like because generally people only pick down the totem pole. So there's always one dude in the group that nobody get nobody picks on. And, like, that guy's the top. Like, even if he doesn't make the decisions for the group, like, he's the top dog. Mm-hmm. And... Like I've I've never I've never been a very aggressive person, so as a result, I was never a top dog in any group of guys I was in, uh, unless it was a more like very regimented, organized group, like uh, like the Boy Scouts or something like that. Which in itself, like, is teased for being I don't know. I mean, that's a whole group dedicated to living outdoors. I don't know what has anything to do with why people make fun. Anyway, off topic. But uh, with women. Um, I feel like one of the big things is I realized I used to interrupt and talk over women a lot more. I talk a lot, as evidenced by the fact I've been talking a bunch on this, but like a lot of our culture validates men for talking first and talking last, which means we should probably be talking all the time just to make sure that we were talking first and last. And, and then also, I think it made me realize that uh, for the longest time I bought into a lot of um, like ideas about like men being the logical ones and women being the emotional ones which you know is again just crap it's just the patriarchy says men aren't allowed to be emotional so then when women are emotional as well as like all human beings are logical all human beings can be emotional but the patriarchy says men aren't allowed to be so when women exhibit both we focus in on the part that we're not allowed to have and say women are emotional so with women, I don't know, other than being more respectful in a way that I feel like I should have been being along the whole time to all people, 
I feel like I'm more respectful now of women, especially in conversations with them. Like, because I do know that I used to be more of a mansplainer. Like, someone's like, uh, you don't really understand this because you're a lady. With men, I find now that I don't tolerate um, sexist bull****. Like, I, I will call it out, even if it's just a group of dudes. Um, like, I was hanging out with a, a group... I, I talk about this a lot. I, there's, uh, I play card games with uh, some friends of mine at a local comic book shop. And so it's, it's almost entirely all dudes. And there's this one kid who's like, he's like a 22, 23. And uh, I, I see so much of myself at 22 or 23 in him um, because he has a lot of really stupid beliefs that are all kind of backed up by our society and, th and that without a lot of thinking, he still buys into them. <laughs> like we, we were playing a game uh, we, we, we were playing a different game than he was, and he kind of saunters over, and I was like, hey, how'd it go? And he goes, oh, man, I got raped. And I was just like, well, that's not cool, man. I don't think you were actually sexually assaulted over there. And he's like, don't give me that PC bullcrap. And I'm like, dude, I'm just saying, uh, you know, the English language is really big. There's all sorts of words if you wanted to convey that you lost in a very big way, uh, you could have said, you know, destroyed or eviscerated or annihilated. Like, there's all sorts of words that don't imply sexual violence, especially one that could have been traumatic, the sexual violence that could happen to anybody in this room. He's like, nobody here has been raped. And I'm like, man, there are 15 guys in this room. One in nine men will experience sexual violence in their life. How do you know? Like, statistically, somebody in here has been molested or raped. And uh, he's just like, yeah, but nobody has. I'm like, Paul, you don't even know my birthday. Like, how do you know that I haven't <laughs> been, you know? Why would I tell people I just play games with? Oh, by the way, I was molested by my history teacher. Like, I would never let you guys know that. That's not true. I have not been sexually assaulted. But plenty of men have so one to, so for one just to assume because you're in a group of men that you can use sexually violent words and that it won't trigger somebody in here it's like and all of us have you know a lot of us have girlfriends sisters like even if none of us have we somebody in this room many somebody's in this room know somebody who's been the victim of sexual abuse so like for you to just sling that around makes you sound like a and I'm like, and I don't think you're a, you're, I don't think you're a You could just choose not to, like, change my mind with your words. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was cool because, like, like, I wasn't the only participant in this. Several other guys, like, chimed in, like, likewise. That, like, you know, you could choose not to. So, like, like it's true. It's First Amendment. You're allowed to say whatever you want. But the First Amendment also doesn't protect you from looking like an idiot when you say whatever you want, you know. Donald Trump's allowed to say all the things he wants to say, <laughs> but it doesn't protect me from thinking he's an idiot, yeah. you know? And by that same token, I'm like, you, you know, nobody's mad at you for what you said, dude. You're allowed to, like, change it. I would just say in the future, you'd seem like a smarter person if you didn't use that word. Yeah, totally. And, I, and like I said earlier, I mean, I feel like part of my job, like, role as a male feminist is not to preach to women about feminism because I mean, they're the ones actually in it but my my job is to listen to women and to be the person to talk 
when I'm with men. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. thoughts uh on this if you could talk to your fellow men and yeah. women as a male feminist i mean i think that example with paul that's awesome i wanted to give you like a high five but um just anything as it pertains to because our our podcast obviously is more about dating and relationships and mm-hmm. all that sure so how but we do have quite a surprisingly large number of male listeners yes and that's that's what has really surprised us so like if there was one message you could get out to the men of the world yeah uh well i mean i think um as far as men interacting with women like i just think it's important to note that um even if you yourself are a good guy you know this whole idea of the good guy uh, it's like, it's not your job to tell people you're a good guy. Um, and being a good guy does not earn you anything. Um, and you don't need to say that bitterly. I don't say it bitterly like, oh man, I'm a good guy. And all I got was this crappy t-shirt. Like that's like the not all men. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, this, this also factors into this whole idea of friend zoning, this whole idea of like, uh, but I'm a good guy. Like it stems from the idea that our culture doesn't expect men to be good guys, which is yeah. like, that's, yeah. that's really lame yeah. that our society doesn't expect men to behave. It expects women to behave, but not men. And so men feel like there's deep down, there's this feeling that we are somehow lowering ourselves when we behave. And so it's like, but I'm, you know, I'm not being mean, like a girl should like me. And it's like, yeah, a girl probably will like you. But it's not necessarily the girl you choose in that moment to like you because Mm -hmm. no one is obliged to, to do anything to like, it's the entitlement. The, yeah, the important thing to remember is the only thing people are obligated to do is to not physically harm you. Like, that's part of our society. It's kind of built on the idea that we're not supposed to physically hurt each other. But otherwise, people don't owe you anything. Mm-hmm. Like, they don't they don't owe you anything. And your being nice does not, uh, like, automatically mean that anyone should do something for you. Mm-hmm. You know, this is, not, uh, this is not a numbers game. It's not like, if I am this nice, if I say this many compliments, I'm going to win the prize. And a lot of male thinking is is kind of organized under this idea. If I just follow these instructions, I get the prize. And that's not how it works. That's not how human interactions work. I would say keep being the nice guy because being nice is awesome. Like, why not? Like, why not try and be a decent human being? Mm-hmm. And it does pay dividends. Whether or not anyone Whether is or not to... you, the Yeah, the key is be a good person assuming it will never get you anything Mm. because the moment you stop expecting to get something for being a good human being, you will start getting stuff for being a good human being because people recognize and appreciate when you're a decent human. And so even if the girl of your dreams still doesn't want to be with you, that's fine because that's not like, she's not obligated just because you're nice. It's great that you're nice. And if you really think she's rad and you're being nice to her and she's not interested in you romantically, then it's time for you to accept that romance isn't going to happen. But you can have a very rich, fulfilling friendship with people 
even despite being attracted to them, because you can be better than your base instincts. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, just briefly, I was talking to when we, when we met. I was talking about how I was planning on writing um, some essays about the new masculine in this sort of world where we acknowledge the that the goals of feminism are important. Well, so much of of the feminism is about tearing down our ideas about what to be masculine means. So what does being masculine mean if you acknowledge that women are your equals and that a lot of masculine behavior is toxic? And I think part of it is realizing that a lot of our culture rewards your basest interests when you're a man. Like whatever the most basic lizard part of your brain wants our culture rewards it. There's all these beer ads that are like, get drunk, hot chicks and bikinis, yeah. Sports cars. Sports cars. Let's let's play sports. I mean, because sports are essentially like a visceral use of your physical body, mm-hmm. you know. The, sure, there's mind, there's mental aspects to sports and stuff too, but a lot of sport is about watching physical bodies do their thing. And so I think the new masculine is about acknowledging that you have base instincts that you don't have to follow on just because you feel like it or just because society encourages you to do it. Because ultimately, we're human beings. The thing that keeps us separate from animals is our ability to reject our instincts and choose choose to do things that instinctually make no sense. And so I think the, the new masculine accepts that, like, what what society's taught you about what you deserve and how women are supposed to be, like that's not true. Mm. And, and I, nothing has been taken away from. And you nothing's either. been taken away from you. Yeah. This this because I think there there is a lot of like anger and resentment among men that I see, not on the surface but kind of deep down of just like, you know, I I could have had this, I could have had that, you know, but you know women are taking our jobs or, you know, I've never heard anybody say that like that explicitly, but I felt that kind of anger. Yeah. Well, I thought there's a, there's a brilliant comedian, uh, female comedian here in Los Angeles. Her name's Sam J. And she has this great bit about, she's talking about our current political climate and that there's a lot of people saying, you know, we got to take our country back. She's like, I hear a lot of angry white men Mm -hmm. saying we got to take our country back. And so she's a black lesbian, Sam J. And she goes, and I've been wondering, like, take it back. Life seems pretty good. I don't know. And she goes, and then I watched Mad Men. And I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, you guys lost everything. Yeah. Um, but then I feel like if you watch Mad Men, like, if it doesn't disgust you, <laughs> like, oh, yeah. the, toxi- right. the toxic masculinity of the time then I would encourage self-reflection on the fact that at the time, as cool and calm and collected as Don Draper looked, he was also destroying a lot of people. Mm. He was using people, throwing them away, and um, he ruined a bunch of people's lives. Like, he's the protagonist of the show, but he's not the show's hero. Like, um, Peggy is the show's hero. Don Draper is just the protagonist. And by the same token, I felt very guilty when I found myself very attracted to him. <laughs> well, you know, like, there was something about him that was, like, his, like, suave, like, I'm in control, I know what I want, like, I was like, whoa, you know, like, like at, throughout the series, although, like, I had to recognize within myself, like, I'm attracted to the wrong kind. I mean, I'm attracted to something good, it, 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 like, not objectively necessarily bad, 
but there's all this other stuff Mm -hmm. that he did because he had, like, you know, it's like, it's not just the fact that he was suave, like, the fact that he was so, like, self-reliant actually meant that he was kind of a sociopath. Yeah. (laughs) You know? He's he's kind of like the the picture of, like, the masculinity that also, like, you, uh, you know, like, our society has come to value, you know, in, in men. Like, being like very decisive to the point of like in- enforcing will upon others yeah. is seen as like a very strong admirable masculine trait and i think even you know women who are self-aware like your like yourselves will still uh, acknowledge like there's something sexy about a, a man who like knows what he wants and gets it you yeah. know what i mean you know i remember actually cuz uh, back when madman like a few years ago was like super popular i was actually talking to Derek your fiance and because I was talking about how, well, I had a Mad Men party for my birthday party. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, because it was like, there's something just so alluring about like the dress and the fashion. And, you know, yeah. I like dressing up, making old cocktails, you know, and everything like that. And um, I remember there had been like something with Mad Men where Don like ordered for a woman. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I would love that. Oh, my gosh. Like that that's just so cool. And Derek was like. No. He actually cried. He was like, you would only like that if the man was somehow able to read your mind and know exactly what it is that you wanted. Mm. But if there was a man constantly ordering for you, like ordering food for you, and it wasn't what you wanted, you would not like that. And I was like, okay, you're right. (laughs) Thanks for bringing me back to the 21st century. Right. Well, because it it does play into this, like, idea of of being, uh, having your needs taken care of, you know, and for a long time, you know, a a really attractive man had the means and the way to take care of a woman so that her job was just to take care of his house and his family. But disregarded the woman's uh, wants and, you know, her picking her own food even right yeah you know, which at the time maybe it was this like oh this is a display of manhood but really it's taking away from our worth as human beings yeah. being able to choose and right all of and things. i still see i mean i do see that kind of attitude in guys that i've gone on dates with that like this attitude of i know what you need better than you do yeah yeah that's you, exactly you what know like i i can tell you really want me to kiss you i hate that you know and yeah. it's like I oh. told you that I didn't, so mm-hmm. that should be a pretty clear message that I don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you know, it's like, oh no, no, no. I can, I can tell you really do want that. You know, no, please, well, please have this beer because because it's really good, and and I think that you really will want it, and you know, really like insisting um, that they know what's good for me or what I yeah. want. Yeah, and that, I mean that almost sort of borders onto talking about things like consent, because essentially yeah. you haven't told me what you want, but. I know what you want. Shush. Right. right. You know, like that sort of that's thing. That's an interesting way to put it. That's, yeah. No, that's it's crazy. it's exactly... The, yeah. The, yeah, the ordering the ordering on behalf of somebody is essentially forcing them to take what you have chosen for them, which is just a form of consent violation. Yeah. So... Just wow. a very subtle one. So but if you way, have that attitude with ordering food, you're right, probably it, going to have that attitude with more important It things. sort of normalizes that idea like right before like oh we're entering a romantic thing and bt dubs i get what i want and you're going to be having the lobster you know like that sort of thing which in that case i mean lobster is great <laughs> like lobster is delicious well, how much but i should be able to be? i should be able to choose the lobster yeah yeah, yeah. i mean I, think- I should be able to choose the lobster 
that should be the name of your date. There's, there's, a, there's a flip to this. It's like if some your partner knew you that well. It's like you don't want the lobster. Like, I know you. You want the clams. Like, that's yeah. your favorite. And, like... There's and there's a, a way to suggest yeah, it too, or like yeah. point out, like, "Hey, on this menu, I see that they have lobster." Yeah, yeah. This Maybe is such this a weird would interest analogy, you. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> that's how real conversations happen. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, Marshall, thank you so much. Yeah, um, happy to do it. Yeah, really, really good conversation, and you know, we've been wanting to do something on feminism for a long time, and. It's actually ironic that the first, like, feminist we've had on the show is a man. I think it's awesome. It's awesome. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, thank you again. No, happy to do it. Thank you for listening to our podcast. This has been episode 15 of Fishers of Men, a podcast about relationships and your walk with Jesus. Today you heard from my friend Marshall James. If you have questions, comments, or feedback, please email us at fishersofmenpodcast at gmail.com or on our website at fishersofmenpodcast.com. We are also on Facebook under Fishers of Men and on Twitter as at LA Gone Fishing. Please rate and make comments on iTunes. It's really important so other people can discover our podcast. I'm Laura Samara. I'm Mary Ashley Burton. Until next time, keep swimming. This podcast was made possible by the support of Project Launch in Burbank, California. Project Launch bridges the gap between their clients and their customers through face-to-face direct sales and consulting. Go to www.projectlaunchinc.com for more information.